If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to Life of the Week, where leading historians delve into the lives of some of history's most intriguing and significant figures. From ancient Egyptian pharaohs and medieval warriors to daring 20th century spies. Stalin is among the most infamous leaders in history, with the 20th century dictator being responsible for the deaths of millions. In conversation with Danny Bird, Robert Service considers the fearsome tyrant's origins as a precocious boy in Georgia, his role in the Russian Revolution of 1917, and his rise as the paranoid dictator of the Soviet Union. When and where was Stalin born, and what was his early life like? Stalin wasn't Stalin to start with. This was his revolutionary pseudonym, his nom de guerre. Uh, He was born in Gori, a town in the middle of Georgia, an outlying part of the Russian Empire, the son of a cobbler. He came from a, a poor family, born in the late 1870s. He was a very, very bright young lad, had promise. This was spotted early on, highly intelligent, very rumbustious, joined the street gangs, was a bit of a a roughhouse type, uh, as well as a, a brilliant young school pupil. And his mother decided that for his betterment, Uh, she should take the chance of entering him for the priesthood. And he was sent to the Georgian capital, Tbilisi, to join an orthodox ecclesiastical uh, seminary. And there he stayed through his teens, training to be a priest, learning Russian properly, uh, learning the uh, liturgy, singing the hymns. He had a very fine tenor voice. And Then his rough side came out because he rebelled against the discipline of the seminary, which was very, very severe. And he left it before he became fully qualified as a priest. But he left it with an education under his belt. So he was articulate. He was good at reading and writing. And he went off to help run a meteorological institute in Tbilisi, or Tiflis, as the Russians called it. And there he entered the revolutionary movement as a Georgian patriot, but also eventually as a Marxist, but a Marxist with a Georgian coloration to him. What role did Stalin play during the Russian Revolution of 1917? Stalin was already a leading Bolshevik before 1917, uh, well known to Lenin. But unlike Lenin and many of the other leading Bolsheviks, he'd lived most of the time inside the Russian Empire, so that he was one of the leaders who knew more about the 
the experience of people inside the Russian Empire because he'd experienced it himself. And he'd been in exile in Siberia uh, several times. And at the, at the moment of the abdication of Nicholas II uh, in the February Revolution of 1917, he was in Siberia. But being in Siberia, he could get back more quickly to Petrograd than the self-exiles like Lenin and Zinoviev could do. So that he barged into the Bolshevik party leadership as soon as he got back to Petrograd and virtually took it over. And through the revolution of 1917, he commended himself to Lenin before the Bolsheviks seized power in October. He rose to prominence, especially when Lenin had to take off into hiding that year, so that much as he was condescended to because he seemed not to have the sophisticated educational hinterland that the other Bolshevik leaders had. He was doing leading jobs for the Bolsheviks in the months before the October Revolution, and he was part of the leading core of the Bolshevik party. He wasn't the man who missed the revolution at all. What was Stalin's relationship with Lenin like? Well, in the early years of the October Revolution, it was it was good but fractious. Lenin tended to use Stalin for a lot of the dirty jobs that needed doing and the difficult jobs uh, on the war fronts, in the Soviet government, inside the party. Stalin was a bruiser and troubleshooter. He was the chief troubleshooter of the Bolshevik leadership. And uh, he hurt people's feelings, but he got jobs done. And Lenin liked to use him, balancing him against Trotsky, because Trotsky, he was a more delicate bruiser, but a bruiser nevertheless, a very hard man. Uh, And the two of them were emerging as possible rivals for the succession at the point where Lenin fell ill, particularly in 1921 and 1922. In 1922, Lenin was bedridden virtually for the rest of his life. And at that point, Lenin found that the man that he had promoted to high party office had ideas of his own. Now, he had always had ideas of his own, but Lenin had been able to control him, moderate him when he thought necessary. But from his isolation outside Moscow, in bed, and very, very poorly, he discovered that Stalin felt every reason to think that he could run the party better than Lenin. And so they fell out. They fell out really badly in 1922 into 1923 over really secondary matters of revolutionary politics that Lenin thought were primary matters because actually they agreed about more than they disagreed about. But Lenin wanted to have the final word on everything, both primary and secondary. 
And when they fell out about these secondary matters, about the position of Georgia in the forthcoming Soviet Union, about the so-called workers and peasants inspectorate that Stalin ran, about how many workers there should be in the Central Committee of the party itself, Lenin took a different position from Stalin, and eventually he decided that if Stalin ever got into a position where he might be his successor, that would be a disaster for the party as a whole and for the revolution itself. So he composed a so-called testament in which he called for Stalin to be removed from the post of party general secretary. So it started as a, a fruitful liaison between the two of them in 1917, always a bit troubled, in which Lenin managed him very astutely to one where they completely fell out. And actually, Stalin was as astounded by this as Lenin. Lenin had condescended to him a little bit too much for Lenin's own good. Could you explain Stalin's rise to power in the Soviet Union? Well, the traditional explanation is that Stalin had all of the the levers of party power in his hands, that he was the bureaucrat, the administrator, the man behind the scenes who did things surreptitiously. Personally, I think that's wrong. Uh, Stalin was a leader. He was a boisterous leader. There was about a half dozen of them. Lenin uh, led them. Trotsky, obviously. Zinoviev, Kamenev. Bukharin and Stalin. They all looked down on Stalin because they thought he was an ignorant provincial, a man from Georgia, ill-educated. They underestimated him. They underestimated his bookishness. He played on this because he, he liked to pretend to be just an ordinary working-class lad from from the outer reaches of uh, the empire. So he played up this role, and this this role fooled the others. So I think we have to take account of the fact that he, he was a man who could take responsibility. He could formulate a policy and then lead a group, a leading group, towards... Uh, implementing it. So he wasn't just the bureaucrat. When the others, like Zinoviev and Karmenev and Trotsky said, uh, let's make revolution in Europe, Stalin said, let's do this much more cautiously than you suggest, because the security of the Soviet Union should take precedence over our dreams of expanding the revolution. And this appealed, this appealed to large numbers of leading Bolsheviks after the Russian Civil War. Bolsheviks who were war weary and shared Stalin's uh, zeal 
to to make the revolution at home first before turning their eyes towards Europe. So you're referring there to this policy of socialism in one country. Yeah. Uh, the, let's build socialism in the first socialist state that's ever existed, and then we will turn our eyes towards Europe and spread the revolution westwards. Now, he, he really did believe in spreading the revolution. And that's another thing that I think is now becoming accepted more than it was, say, 30 or 40 years ago when I started uh, research. Eventually, the Soviet Union had to expand if it was going to secure itself. So it, it, it was existing in a very, very dangerous world of states, capitalist states, that didn't want the Soviet Union to exist a day longer than it needed to. What was the five-year plan and what role did Stalin play in it? Towards the end of the 1920s, it became an irritant to Stalin and to most other leading Bolsheviks that the new economic policy that Lenin had introduced in 1921 was producing, after a period of successful industrial and agricultural recovery, more problems than it was solving. There were too many priests, too many nationalists, too many street traders uh, who were acquiring social influence. And so the left of the party, led by mainly Trotsky, had been arguing this for years. Stalin came over to that point of view, and having defeated Trotsky for saying, let's industrialise the country fast, let's collectivise agriculture fast, he now did that very thing himself. And he did it in a particularly brutal way, driving the peasantry into collective farms by force, bullying the industrial managers, nationalising all of the private enterprises that had sprung up in the 1920s and formulating a first five-year plan according to which the entire Soviet economy in industry, in agriculture and in trade would be subsumed under the direction of the central party apparatus, which would impose a state economic plan, which we know as the first five-year plan. So it was a tumultuous period. It was virtually a second revolution by the Bolsheviks to complete the work that Lenin had bequeathed to them. What was the Holodomor? Well, the Holodomor is the period of starvation that afflicted Ukraine in the early 1930s as a result of agricultural collectivization, uh, the forcing of peasants into collective farms and the removal of the better off 
peasants entirely from the land that they had cultivated. The result of that was the deaths of millions of Ukrainian peasants. Collectivization affected Kazakhstan and all of Russia, so that similar incidents of starvation is found in uh, those areas too. But the Ukrainians felt with some reason that they were being punished for being Ukrainians as well as for being peasants. And uh, it was particularly sharp, the aggressiveness of the Bolsheviks towards the Ukrainian nation. And that's why the Ukrainian Holodomor is uh, remembered to this day with a really vivid bitterness across the country. In the mid-1930s, Stalin presided over a purge of old Bolsheviks. Could you explain what lay behind the Great Terror, the course it took and the impact it had? Well, Stalin, by the mid-1930s, was the dictator. But he was a fragile dictator inasmuch as he knew that many of the party comrades, leading ones or comrades at lower levels, disliked or were appalled by the violent methods that he had imposed on the country in the first and then the second five-year plans. Uh, and this disquiet, this unease, this dislike about Stalin made Stalin decide that the very people who had carried out his policies loyally, sometimes with reservations, but nevertheless loyally, were an obstruction to the consolidation of his personal dictatorship. And being a, a brutal man, as well as a fearful man, a suspicious man, uh, he turned on the very people who had helped him into a position of personal despotism. And he did this because he thought that he could replace the old Bolshevik elite with a new young elite that he would train or get trained to fulfill the industrial and agricultural and commercial and political tasks which the new Soviet state required. So in a way, it was a strategy of the most terrible human pessimism by Stalin combined with an extreme optimism that you could do this to a country, a society, a state, and come out at the other end of the tunnel with a new state that would be more pliable, more obedient, and would be able to present itself to the rest of the world as offering a vision of the communist future that would eventually spread all over the earth. I mean, it was a terrible, terrible 
vision that he had, but I think it has to be seen in that context that it it's, it, it came from an itchiness about the kind of victory that he Stalin had achieved by the mid 1930s a victory that wasn't enough for him to feel comfortable with it was a very very grueling period a tormenting period nearly all of the close associates of lenin were exterminated zinoviev kamenev bukharin Trotsky was assassinated in exile in 1940. He was the last of them to uh, fall victim to Stalin. Of the very, very leading cadre around uh, Lenin, but lower down, you s- lower down the the state hierarchy, you stood a very, very high chance of being arrested and thrown into a labor camp or shot or shot um, after perhaps being beaten up and tortured, forced to sign a confession. At any one time, between one and two million languished in labor camps because the purpose of the purge was partly to supply the slave labor in the timber felling, industry in the gold mining sector in the construction of new towns out in siberia in the north of russia this was part of the purpose too but it wasn't the whole purpose or even the main purpose the main purpose was to annihilate any kind of opposition real or potential and most of the damage was done to people who weren't enemies of the communist state, but were members of the various institutions that constituted the, the core of the Soviet state. Could you explain what lay behind his motivation to strike an alliance with Nazi Germany in the summer of 1939? Stalin knew in his bones, and Marxism told him this, in any case, that there was going to be another world war. This was absolutely basic to the Bolshevik understanding of world politics. And especially, he he thought, the best chance for Soviet Russia, if if it couldn't have a communist revolution in Europe, was to play one block of capitalist states off against another. And fearful as he was of Nazi Germany, he thought that if he could do a deal with Hitler, then that would turn Hitler westward and enhance the rivalry between what Stalin called the Anglo-Saxon countries, Britain and America, perhaps also uh, France, not that France was Anglo-Saxon, and Nazi Germany. And that somehow, as a result of that, he would be able somehow or other to pick up the pieces of any war to the west 
of the Soviet Union. So that was his calculation. And he also thought this would give him security. He thought he could play Hitler just as Hitler thought he could play Stalin. Uh, he underestimated the essential ideological drive of Adolf Hitler, which was to exterminate uh, Bolshevism entirely. Hitler thought of uh, Bolshevism as a Jewish world conspiracy. So Stalin made a, um, a miscalculation there. The one thing he got right was that it was likely to be a world war. There was likely to be a world war, and um, in fact, he thought it was he, he thought it was absolutely inevitable that there would be a world war. But he badly misread the signs in 1941 that Hitler, once he had annihilated France and reduced the power of the United Kingdom, he would not take advice in 1941 that Hitler really did mean to launch an invasion of the Soviet Union. He thought that he was being misled either by Western powers who sought to involve him in their war against Hitler, or there were just saboteurs inside the Soviet Union, agents of internal conspiracy against against the, co the communist leadership. He, he got it absolutely catastrophically wrong. And could you sketch out what his role was in the Katyn massacre? When, as part of the Nazi-Soviet pact, the Soviet Union took over eastern Poland with German consent and collaboration. There was much collaboration between the uh, the Red Army and uh, Hitler's Wehrmacht. Then Soviet forces moved in to eastern Poland, arrested the better-off elements of the Polish society, uh, and they particularly laid their hands on army commanders, army officers. They wanted to decapitate the Polish elite and make it more pliable to the purposes of the new Soviet occupying power. So Stalin and Beria, the head of the NKVD, the secret police, concocted a plan to round them all up, the ones that they could get hold of. And due to them, what had already been done to those parts of the Soviet elite in 1937 to 1938, whom Stalin decided were potentially disloyal to him. Well, he, he thought that all of these Polish commanders had to go. So he ordered their clinical execution. How did World War II impact Stalin's authority over the Soviet Union? The Soviet Union was among the most battered and desolated countries of the belligerent powers that had fought Nazi Germany. Uh, it had a wrecked economy. It had a very large military sector, but the consumer goods 
in industry were at a very, very low level and agriculture had been devastated. Communications were poor as well. So that although he could set policy at the centre in Moscow, it was difficult to get policy moving in a a quick and positive direction the lower down the hierarchy of power you looked at. So he was both all-powerful and very, very impotent as a dictator. And so his last years were ones in which he opted to consolidate power in the way that he had held it before the Second World War. That was the only way he understood how the Soviet, the Soviet state and its economy could realistically be managed and still have him in power. So he tried to do more of the same as he sought to navigate the, the storms of economic reconstruction. And he had to do this in such a way as not to provoke another world war, at least for the time being, until the Soviet Union had become powerful again and could stand up to the new superpower, the US. And the new superpower, the US, had the nuclear bomb, as it had shown at Hiroshima, in 1945. He was basically by then a communist conservative. He wanted the Soviet Union to stay built in his image, the image that it had held shortly before the disastrous Nazi invasion in 1941. You've alluded to it there slightly, um, but what part did Stalin play in influencing the course of the early half of the Cold War? Stalin uh, hoped that the the partnership with the United Kingdom and especially with the United States would survive the war, that somehow there would be a condominium in which the Soviet Union would be allowed to more or less do as it wanted in Eastern Europe without interference from those two other Western powers. And he hoped that he might get economic assistance from America in the short term, even though he expected there to be trouble with the United States in the longer term. This proved to be a great disappointment for Stalin. And when the United States provided the funds for the so-called Marshall Plan, which uh, was offered on terms that allowed f American finance to flow into Europe so long as the markets there were opened to American trade, then this was clearly going to undermine the new communist regimes in Eastern Europe. And it would have undermined the Soviet Union too. Capitalism would have definitely undermined the Soviet Union as it did in 1991. Then from that point on, there was a clash between 
the US and the USSR from 1947-1948 onwards. Both sides wanted to avoid a hot war between the two of them, but Stalin then put his foot on the throat of all the existing half-freedoms in Eastern Europe and fully communized those countries in a, in a brutal period of trials, arrests, the suppression of political freedoms, suppression of rival political parties. Many of our listeners may have watched Armando Iannucci's film The Death of Stalin. When and how did Stalin die, and were the events depicted in that film as farcical as they appear? Well, it's a very good film. It's not meant to be good history. It's meant to be glancingly historical, and and that's the way it succeeds. I enjoyed it. But it wasn't a farce, the death of Stalin. If you were anywhere near Stalin, you had to tread very, very carefully, cautiously. And he, in 1952, 1953, had indicated by some of his measures that he was going to get rid of half of the very leading core of the Communist Party. So it was a very edgy time for them. And when he had one of his relapses and the servants reported back to Beria and others in the Central Committee, Khrushchev, Malenkov, that he had been found on the floor in one of his datches. They took the decision to go out there and see what was really happening outside Moscow. And they decided that the best thing to do was not to touch him. Because that way, this highly suspicious, uh, highly vengeful, constantly murderous dictator would die a lingering death that would free them from the weight of ever having to hold him in dread ever again. So he died not in a humorous way, but in a really sad way for any human uh, being. But you can see why they let it happen. That way, If by a miracle he recovered, none of them could be accused of having plunged a dagger in his back or pointed a, a gun at his head. His death would be through natural causes. And so they withheld the medical support that might have alleviated his suffering and might even have saved his life. And without doctors, he was a goner. This occurred in March 1953. He died on the same day as the musical composer Prokofiev. And when, when people went to the shops to buy flowers to commemorate uh, the death of the composer, they couldn't find any because the They'd all been bought for the death of Stalin, who was mourned by Muscovites, 
as soon as they heard of the de- because they had come through the war thinking this man led us to victory. They'd been told that, but they felt it as well. And so much as many millions of people hated him, many min- millions of people, perhaps the same people who hated him, also somehow thought that something had been pulled out of their lives too. So it was a hugely emotional occasion. He was interred in the mausoleum that he had had built for Lenin. Now they shared a place in front of the Kremlin Wall on Red Square. And there his remains remained until Khrushchev had them removed and deposited in a a very less impressive spot below the Kremlin Wall. What is Stalinism? Stalinism is a brutal extension of Leninism. For some people, this is controversial, what I've just said. Some people think that Leninism and Stalinism are totally different things. I don't. I think that uh, Stalinism shared with Leninism the idea of a one-party state, a terror state, a one-ideology state, a state committed to communist expansionism around the world. So I think that uh, rather than being something totally different, it was something that was a brutal extension of Leninism. It overlapped both with Trotskyism and with Leninism. It was different, but it was a difference of the extent of the brutality that Stalinists expected to to use in order to communize societies as thoroughly as they wanted. And it took forms in architecture, the arts... Literature. Yes, it, um, it it involved state control of all public amenities. Where whether we're talking about schooling or painting or or writing or uh, or clothing or um, cuisine, Stalin had the nerve to publish a book on the wonderful cooking uh, facilities and ingredients available in the Soviet Union in the 1940s uh, to his lucky fellow citizens. So, so recipes were provided that had no possible relationship to what ordinary people could ever expect to put on their tables because they were... They were in a pitiful condition, most of them, after the Second World War. He liked he liked a good meal. He liked Georgian wine. He served it at his uh, endless dinner parties at his dacha outside Moscow, or, or if he was down in the south, near Sochi and elsewhere. Uh, he was a man who liked the good things in life. 
he liked to sing. He liked his Politburo comrades to sing and dance. Uh, sometimes he humiliated them by making them dance in front of him. He, he had um, a wicked and evil sense of humour. He was much, much more intelligent than people gave him credit for. This was one of his weapons. People, all through his life, people underestimated Joseph Jugashvili Stalin. How many people were killed as a consequence of Stalin's policies? No one's totally sure about this. It's in the tens of millions. I mean, it's an absolutely staggering, it's a staggering number of people. And it's not just the ones who were killed by being executed or being thrown into the gulag. It's also the number of people who died as a result of the policies, the economic policies that he uh, imposed. So millions of people died simply out of starvation, of natural causes that were brought about by uh, the policies that he imposed from the late uh, 1920s onwards. So we can talk of tens of millions in any case, but how many tens of millions depends on how how you judge it. And I think you have to judge it in terms of more than just the death sentences or the or the um, the sentences to labour in the camps of the gulag. It's also the catastrophic effects of the kind of economic and social policies that he un- unleashed from the end of the 1920s onwards. He was a murderous dictator and a disaster for Russia because, in a way, he murdered culture. He murdered hope. He murdered the willingness of Soviet citizens to take a risk in saying no to official policy. And that, that tendency in Soviet culture has persisted through into the present day and it has enabled subsequent leaders following the end of communism, particularly Vladimir Putin, to impose his will because there's a memory of families, inside families, of what the cost of open political opposition might be. That was Robert Service. Emeritus Professor of Russian History at St Anthony's College, University of Oxford. Thanks for listening to today's Life of the Week. Be sure to join us again next time to learn about another fascinating figure from the past. Music